This is week four of our nine-week sermon series on the book of Proverbs. So Proverbs, if you haven't been with us, is one of the books of the Old Testament that we consider wisdom literature. And the wisdom literature of the Bible, this also includes other books such as Ecclesiastes, uh, Song of Solomon, um, Book of Job is considered wisdom, if you're familiar with that book. And wisdom literature is concerned with helping us to live well, concerned with helping us to navigate life according to God's good design. It's focused on the practical life. One thing that we've uh, said repeatedly already throughout this series is that Proverbs wants to help increase our street smarts. It really does. Uh, that, that is the purpose of wisdom. Wisdom is practical. God wants to shape us into the kinds of people who, not simply have, who don't simply have knowledge, but know how to utilize that knowledge in the real world. So far, so, so, so far we've covered topics such as wisdom, folly, justice, and this morning our topic is money. Just wanted to see kind of what the general response would be to that topic. And that makes sense because maybe you're like, oh, great. And um, if you are coming from outside of the church, uh, maybe um, you don't consider yourself to be much of a church goer, uh, but you're here this morning, uh, this might be weird because it could even um, be that you, this is one of your things with the church is like, they're all about money. That's all they talk about. Well, I actually rarely talk about money um, up here. It just so happens that this week I am. So welcome. Welcome to you. So yes, money. Here's what I want to say before uh, I read the the one passage that we're going to look at as kind of our our launching pad, is that um, neither wealth nor poverty are to define us, all right? Both have their unique dangers and temptations, I feel like it's important for us to start there because we tend to think of these things such as, you know, well, wealth is maybe for some of really good or it's really bad. Poverty, well, maybe it's better than being really wealthy. I'd rather be poor than really wealthy, or we just think of being poor as really bad. Um, but as the verse that we're going to read um, claims, both have their unique dangers and temptations. So that shouldn't be our approach to this topic of, all right, do I want to be wealthy or poor? Um, And we're going to talk more about that because not everybody even um, is able to ask that kind of question in their lives. I think there are are two extremes, at least within the church, um, that frame this topic for us. Um, And the, the first extreme or error or heresy um, is what we would call the prosperity gospel. Some of you, a lot of you probably have heard that term before. Uh, What the prosperity gospel claims is that if you have enough faith, if you are obedient to God, he will bless you uh, more and more with material things. In other words, if your faith is deep enough, if your obedience is great enough, God will give you money. It's basically, at its essence, what it claims. That is heresy. It means that it is completely contradictory to the gospel and to the Bible. The other is what someone calls the austerity gospel. 
Now, I had to look up austerity if it makes you feel any better. Um, Austerity means extreme plainness and simplicity of style or appearance. So the austerity gospel is that money is bad. It's bad to accumulate wealth of, of any kind, so don't have much of it. That's another error, another extreme. Neither the prosperity gospel or the austerity gospel are options that we want to cling to this morning. Um, but I just wanted to frame uh, the whole conversation with, with that because I, I think it's helpful for us to kind of see the big picture a little bit. And maybe you even see your tendency to fall into one of those errors yourself. With that in mind, let me read um, Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9. Uh, I've said this, I think, every week. This series is very different from most of the, not all, but most of the series that we do here at City Church. Our pattern is usually to preach through books of the Bible. So, um, When it comes to next week, for example, I know you know what the passage is going to be, but this is a topical series in which we're kind of bouncing around the book of Proverbs, Um, and uh, last week and this week, again, I'm going to read a passage to get us started, but it's not necessarily the passage that we're spending all of our time in. We're going to take into account uh, many passages from the book of Proverbs and even Scripture as a whole. So, Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Let's pray and ask for um, God's wisdom to help us navigate this topic this morning. God in heaven, you are full of wisdom. Give us some of your wisdom this morning. From your word, teach us, train us. Uh, I, I pray that you would shape us to be your disciples, your followers, who relate rightly to our money and um, to those around us as we use our money. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. What I want to do is I want to look through, look at this topic of money through the lens of the biblical story. So you know how our worship service is structured according to uh, the main points or chapters of the biblical story, creation, fall, redemption, and renewal. Um, We're essentially going to look at the topic of money through that lens this morning. So Creation, fall, redemption is going to be our framework, our scheme for thinking about this topic of money. So let's jump in and begin with creation, where the Bible starts. What does creation teach us about money? Well, I'll just say this to start. Money is good. All right? So chill out. It's okay. Money is actually good. I need to define a word for you. Um, and some of you are probably getting tired of this, especially if you've been, you were in the intro class this morning, because I've defined this word every sermon of this series, and I defined it again in the intro class, but that word is shalom, all right? And once again, shalom, here's uh, the working definition we're using. It's universal flourishing, wholeness of delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed. So shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. 
It's wholeness of life. It's God's good design for how his creation is meant to function. You see, when God created the world, he created it to be a place where life could flourish. He set apart human beings um, to reflect his character into the world and to represent his rule in the world. And they were to relate rightly to him, relate, relate, relate rightly to themselves, to others, and to the physical world itself. God gave the physical world as a gift. You see, God is the great gift giver. Now, we have to think about God in terms of how the whole of Scripture uh, describes God to us. God is triune. I know, that sounds weird. Um, God is trinity. If you've been around church, you've heard these terms. God is three in one. God reveals himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What this means, among other things, is that God enjoys relationship within his very being. God is a social being. So God, we could say, enjoys shalom within himself. God flourishes within his very being. And the way that we understand creation is that God wanted to share the goodness of who he was. Now, if any one of us said this or acted like this, it would be pure arrogance, wouldn't it? I am so good that I need to figure out how to share more of myself with others. We actually know people like this, and they're not people that we like to be around. But for God to say this is not arrogance, it's actually... Um, our greatest good for God to say this and to actually follow through with it. So God creates a world out of the fullness of his joy, out of the fullness of his delight, out of the fullness of his life. He creates a world. He gives a gift and he creates us, the pinnacle of his creation, human beings. And he says to us, in effect, this is a gift to you. I want you to experience more of who I am. Take care of this world on my behalf. Reflect my character into the world and represent my good and loving rule on my behalf in the world. Be good stewards of people, places, and things. Money is a thing. So money can be good. That's our starting point. And some of us just need to hear that this morning because there comes along with the topic of money so much stinking baggage. Don't have enough money. Wish we had more money. Money creates so much stress and worry in life. Money brings out the ugliness in us. We find ourselves wanting to cling to our money and not give our money away. All of these things, right? So I think it's really helpful, really important for us to start with this and for you to hear this. Money is good. Money is good. Money is created by God, essentially. And the Bible talks about money a whole lot. You see, the Bible doesn't mind us feeling uncomfortable. Um, it, the, the, God's perspective is that there's so much in life, it's actually really good for us to feel uncomfortable because it stirs our hearts and it hopefully moves us toward truth. Um, so the Bible talks about money a whole lot. Um, and 
God's intention for us is that we relate rightly to money. Now, we're going to talk about this more in a few minutes. Um, We can't think of money abstractly. We have to think about money relationally. I'm going to to talk more about that. But there is just so much baggage when it comes to money and the use of money. Creates worry, anxiety, like we said. Creates anger, resentment, um, all of these things. So I've... My guess is that for for so many of us, just even subconsciously as we sit here this morning, money is a topic that we dislike, right? Um, If you're married, you know what it's like, um, some of the the conversations you have to have around marriage. You know, they even say that, um, and I've experienced this in premarital counseling, whenever I am counseling a couple in crisis, um, money is involved in some way, shape, or form might not be all about money, but money is definitely part of um, the tension going on in the relationship. But money fundamentally is good and can be good. Now, as we move on now to talking about the fall, so creation, I mean, that was pretty brief, but I, I want that point to just kind of stand on its own under creation, that money is good. All right, let's move into the fall. Money is bad. All right? Money is good, but money is bad. Or, more accurately, money can be bad. Going back to Proverbs 30. um, Proverbs is full of wisdom. And the intention of Proverbs is for us to live wisely. And when it comes to this topic of money that is talked about a lot in the book of Proverbs... It's interesting the wisdom, uh, the insight that we get in this text. Solomon um, says, all right, give me neither poverty nor riches. I think that's wise. Neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with enough food that is sufficient because I don't want too much food and be tempted to deny you and not need you. But then on the other hand, I don't want to be poor so that I am tempted to steal and profane your name. The, the larger point here that we already referred to is that wealth and poverty have their own dangers and temptations. All right? They have their own dangers and temptations. But money can have an enslaving, an enslaving effect on us. And this is why the Bible talks about money so much. You know, the New Testament says money is the root of all kinds of evil. And you know this experientially. You know it from your own life. You know it from the injustices in the world around you. Money can be really, really bad. And some of the other things that we learn, so what I'm going to do for um, not all at once, but I'm going to be citing a number of different passages in Proverbs. We're not necessarily going to focus in on them, so I'm going to cite lots of references. I'll be going fast. But here are are, are some insights that Proverbs give us. Money cannot give you ultimate security, according to Proverbs 11.7 and 11.28. Money cannot give you ultimate security. We need to hear that wisdom, because um, I, I believe that verse I believe that piece of wisdom, but I am always looking to money to give me security. 
Proverbs 21.6, the Lord hates those who get rich by injustice. Powerful language. That's what it says. The Lord hates those who get rich by injustice. Proverbs 21.6. Our, our sermon last week was on the topic of justice, and I I mentioned at the end last week that we're going to continue that topic a little more this week as we talk about money. But last week, we defined justice in this way. Biblically speaking, justice is setting things right. And this is where the definition of shalom comes back into play. Um, Shalom is God's vision for life, God's vision for his creation. Justice in a fallen world is about bringing things back into alignment with God's original vision, with shalom. So we don't look to our culture's vision of what that standard is, but we look at God's vision and we seek to bring all of life into alignment with that. Under this topic of the fall, um, we have to think um, some about poverty. Because this is something that comes up repeatedly throughout the book of Proverbs. One major theme repeated not only in Proverbs, but throughout the Bible is God's care for the poor. There are thousands, thousands of verses in the Bible about our response and responsibility to the poor. Um, Some of the most striking come from um, Psalms. I mentioned last week about um, being on sabbatical um, last summer in Charleston, South Carolina, which it's so much of its history was tainted by slave trade and how I was reading through the book of Psalms and it seemed like every day the Psalm mentioned justice. So some of the most striking um, uses of uh, justice and God's concern for the poor come from the book of Proverbs and from Psalms as well. Let me just give you a sampling of some of the verses that we encounter in the book of Proverbs. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the poor, and he will repay him for his deed. Proverbs 19, 17. Proverbs 28, 7. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. Proverbs 31, 19. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Proverbs 22, 2. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. Proverbs 29, 7. A righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. Proverbs 22, 16. Whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. Proverbs 22, 22 through 23. Do not rob the poor because he is poor or crush the afflicted at the gate for the Lord will please their cause and rob of life those who rob them. Proverbs 14.21, whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. And then two more. Proverbs 21.13, whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Finally, Proverbs 22.9, whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Whew, I'm out of breath. That's not all of the passage in Proverbs about poverty. Just a sampling. We have to think about, like I said, money, but also wealth and poverty relationally, not abstractly. So often we think about these topics abstractly, but the Bible comes at them relationally. And that's because the Bible begins with God, who is relational. And God has 
entered into a relationship with his people. It's what we would call a covenantal relationship. Um, I'm not, I don't know why I use that word because I don't have time to define it right now, but it just refers to God's special relationship with his people. And for God, especially in the covenant community of his people, these issues of wealth and rich, wealth and poverty are all inherently relational. They're viewed through the lens of relationship. And that continues on when we look beyond the church. We should not view these topics abstractly or people abstractly. These are relational topics, relational matters. Uh, when I was in college, forget what uh, year, I took a semester class on uh, urban ministry. And uh, the cool thing about this class is that uh, I was at Geneva College in western Pennsylvania, and once a week we would drive to uh, inner city Pittsburgh uh, to the Pittsburgh Project um, for this class, which was about 10 of us, and we just Basically, what we did is we got there, and we got to spend time with um, some of the, the kids from the neighborhood that they ministered to, helping mentor them, tutor, those kinds of things, see their programming. And then we would have about an hour, just the 10 of us, sitting around a table eating dinner with Salim Gabriel, the director of the Pittsburgh Project. And I'll never forget him saying something. He said that poverty at its root is not necessarily about the lack of money. It's about the lack of relationship. And that has stuck with me. If we go back to Shalom, this standard, this vision that God has for his creation, Shalom was to manifest itself in four primary relationships. Relationship to God, relationship to self, relationship to others, and relationship to the physical world itself. The Hebrew word shalom captures this state of affairs that God intended. These are the foundational relationships for healthy existence in God's world. And when they are functioning properly, people are able to fulfill God's intentions for them by working and supporting their families and fruits of labor and that sort of thing. Poverty results from many, many, many factors. All right, so there are no simplistic explanations or, or diagnoses for poverty. Um, some of those factors could be um, disability or famine, um, discrimination or injustice, unwise choices or addictions, um, belief systems, structural or systemic sins. Uh, we could list more and more. It, it's complex, right? It's complex. Part of being wise in God's world is to understand that these matters are incredibly complex. And so, like we said last week, um, talking about sin, sin is both individual and it's systemic or social. And it's folly to choose one or the other. The Bible presents us with a holistic picture of the world. If you have a number of individual sinners together, the possibility is there, the capacity is there to sin institutionally or together, right? I mean, it's honestly common sense as far as this goes. We want to avoid folly. We want to be wise, but we don't want to choose one or the other. Both are real. Both are true in life. And that's why we need holistic responses or solutions 
to something like poverty. Um, we're so quick to try to diagnose these things and say it's this or that, but the Bible presents this holistically and, again, brings it back to relationship. And just for, to cite an example, I, I want to um, use Urban Promise as a really strong example of this, even in our own city. Urban Promise is committed to the good news of Jesus Christ. Urban Promise proclaims that good news, and that good news drives everything that it does and is the priority for them. Not however, but as a result of that, they also seek to live out the implications of that good news in deeds. And they also recognize that when it comes to issues like poverty, it is complex, and charity is not simply enough, all right? This is, I mean, charity is good. It's important. We're called to, to charity. We're called to mercy. We see this throughout Proverbs. We th see this throughout Scripture, but justice is also required. And this is why Urban Promise, I think, is such a healthy example, because take education, for example. Education in our city is an absolute mess. It's a train wreck. And we have so many children in um, our inner cities who do not have access to quality education. And so as Christians, what do we say to that? Preach the gospel to them? Well, yes, absolutely. Preach the gospel to every person. But we're also ca called by God, not necessarily every single one of us. God gives us different vocations and passions. But how can we seek to bring things into a greater alignment with shalom? And so Urban Promise started a school. Urban Promise provides mentoring and tutoring. That is an act of justice. It's not just mercy. It is mercy, but it's also justice. It's holistic. It's both, and we don't have to choose one or the other. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, drives all of this. But it comes back to relationship at the end of the day. The reason that Urban Promise is successful is because of relationship. They seek to um, develop relationships with kids and families in our city. If we want to address the complexity of things like poverty, it can only be done well in the context of relationship. We have to take sin seriously. And I said this last week, what I'm talking about here with sin being both personal and systemic is this is a high view of sin, the high view of the Bible. It takes sin seriously. Sin creeps into every area of life, manifests itself individually, socially. This is a high view of sin. Now let's talk about money through the lens of redemption. All right, remember, money is good, money is bad. But money can be good again. Money can be redeemed. So, how much wealth should you aspire to? I can't answer that question. You were hoping that I would, but I can't. Um, I can't answer that question for you. And the reason that I'm raising this tension is because this is why the Bible gives us wisdom literature. There's no instruction or command in the Bible that says, all right, don't go above this amount of wealth or money. 
or, or try to stay at this. It, it, it doesn't do that. But rather, what wisdom literature seeks to do is to um, bring us into a deeper life of discipleship as we follow Jesus and we wrestle with him and we seek to understand his word and apply it to our lives and to the world around us. And as we are walking in step with the Holy Spirit, we are trained, we're retrained in wisdom. We're retrained in how to use our wealth for good. Now, this is an important point. God calls us, God is the owner of everything. Going back to creation, I think I forgot to say that. It should be obvious, but God is the owner of everything. And whatever he gives us, he calls us to be a good steward of. But it's still his. All right? It's still his. It's fundamentally God's. God owns it. And God sets apart a people, people who have come to faith, come to life um, because of their faith in Jesus Christ, and he calls them to use everything that he gives them for the life of the world. Now, what about ourselves? Yes, we need to be sustainable. We want our families to be sustainable. And um, there's so much more that could be said about this topic, but I'm going to leave it at this. If you did not come to Mike Tolliver's four-week school discipleship class on money and stewardship, sorry, you could have gotten it all then. And I was intimidated to preach on this topic because he knows it much better than I do. So I was like, I hope I'm not contradicting anything he says. And I don't want to cover everything he already covered. Um, so we'll have him teach it again someday so you can um, know what you need to know. I'm exaggerating a little bit, obviously. Um, what was I talking about? I do this often. Um, God is the owner of everything. And we need to be sustainable. That's what I was talking about. And so, yes, it's okay and it's wise to, to save money and all of that. But at the end of the day... God desires for us to be generous. God is a giver. I mean, that, that is like the essence of God's character. God gives. He gives creation. And when we fall into sin, he could have turned his back on us, but he continues to give mercy and grace and life. He gives us his one and only son because of his love for the world. God is a giver. And if we are to reflect God's character in the world, we too must be givers. Mike, I think Mike said this in the class. If not, um, we'll pretend for now that he said it. And you can ask him after the sermon if he really said it. But he said that one of the, and maybe not in this, these exact words, but one of the reasons to become more sustainable is that so we actually have greater margin in life to be more generous. Mike, did you say something like that? Yes. All right. But that really stuck with me. One of the reasons to be wiser with our money, sure, yes, so we can be more sustainable, but at the end, ultimately, so that we can actually reflect God's goodness and his generosity out into the world in clear ways. Money is a topic with so much baggage, as we said. And I, I know for some of you this morning, um, you know, it could be because of unwise decisions, poor choices. You're sitting here with so much regret and thinking, um, I can never be a person who blesses others 
um, through generosity in, in terms of, uh, of money. And, and maybe that's true to a degree right now. But God is able to teach you through his Holy Spirit wisdom in this area. He's able to help you. And, you know, you can't worry about other people and the amount of wealth that they may have and how they're able to be generous. God calls you to be generous according to what he has given you, and he's called you to be sacrificial with what he has given you. So be encouraged, be hopeful that with the wisdom that we receive from the book of Proverbs and Scripture as a whole, we are able to learn, we are able to grow in this. And again, not just simply, this is where, this is like the end game in our culture so that you can accumulate wealth, save, and, and all of that, which is all good and has its place. But as Christians, our motivations are deeper. They're bigger. We want to reflect God's character out into the world, and our God is a generous, generous giver. God calls us to give, and this is challenging. I, I, I've mentioned this before, um, but every year when um, our treasurer sends out the giving statement and Katie and I get it and I see the amount of money that we've given to City Church, inevitably every time I start thinking, well, it's not like I give tons and tons of money, so I don't want you to think I'm rich. That's not what I'm saying. But I look at that and I realize that project I want done in the house, if we gave a little less, we could do that. We could go on vacation, more, all of this stuff. Every time I get that giving statement, it's inevitable. I have to come back to who God is and who I am as his disciple and his son and how I'm called to reflect his character into the world. I have to realize, wait a second, actually, this is the wisest use of my money imaginable. I'm being an incredibly good investor and steward by investing money in something that cannot fail. You realize that? When we invest our money, our resources into God's kingdom, we're investing it into something that will not fail. It will succeed. So if you want to be a wise investor, invest in the kingdom of God because it will succeed. Your money will go far. But I have to constantly, personally come back to who God is. Um, Kelly Capick, in his book, God So Loved, um, shows that a Christian life is one which participates in God's own generosity. He writes this, With the gift of the Spirit, we have not only been made recipients of God's grace, but we are now being transformed as participants in the movement of his divine generosity. Those who receive the Spirit of God's Son are therefore brought into this intimacy, into this divine life, into God's family. What if we allowed the gospel to completely transform the way that we look at money and the way that we approach money? What if money did not have to be the dreaded topic? What if money didn't have to be the thing that always led to so much anxiety and worry for us? What if we looked at money as what it's supposed to be, a tool? A tool for us to use wisely in God's world in order to display the fullness 
of who he is and what he wants for people? What if it's an opportunity for us to actually know the gospel more? You see, the more you give, and again, you can be unwise in your giving. You can give it irresponsibly. You can also give it to the point that you become unsustainable. If you're unsustainable, that's not good because you're not going to be able to keep giving. So again, there's wisdom needs to be applied in all kinds of different directions here. But the more you give, the more you're going to have to trust. All right, God, I trust that you are able to provide. I trust that you are going to use this for your glory And I trust that in my sacrificial giving, in ways that I can't fathom, that I can't imagine right now, I am going to come to know the goodness of the gospel in greater measure. It's an opportunity. It's not an obligation. It's an opportunity for us to experience the gospel, but to also enact and embody the gospel on behalf of others. God calls us as his sons and daughters to enter into his very life. We're members of his family. And he call, God calls his kids to be generous so that more and more people will come to know the goodness of the Father in heaven. Like that, that's, our, that's why we're here. That's our purpose as God's kids, to go out into the world and display how good and great he is. Don't you want in on that? Seriously, don't you want in on that? I know that I do. But we need wisdom. We need more and more wisdom. Money is good. Money is bad. But money can be good again. It can be used redemptively. And so what would it look like for us as a church to be generous? And and, I mean, in many ways, we already, I think, by our community are viewed as a church that is generous. But what if we kept going with that? What would that look like? What kind of opportunities would arise for us? What if our, our, our posture toward the world was how can I give in order to, to reflect that, that my good Father in heaven is a giver? And, and what if we were looking for opportunities not to accumulate for ourselves, but to actually bless others? What could that look like? It would open up all kinds of new avenues for ministry. And it could be that you have ideas for um, how we could bless our city. And I would love to hear some of those ideas. And we can talk about, you know, if the Spirit is behind this. Maybe God would have us to do that. But the more we give, the more generous we're able to be. And then what about individually in our own households? What if our neighbors knew us as generous people? People who gave sacrificially. You see, when you give and reflect God in that way, here's how it all comes full circle and why it is wrong for us to say, well, we can't do deeds of justice and mercy because we have to preach the gospel, or we at least have to choose. No, because when you give generously, 
When you seek justice, when you do mercy, like Micah tells us in the Old Testament, which is what God called to walk humbly with him, to do justice, to act kindly, when we live like this in God's world, you're going to have more opportunities than you know what to do with to be able to proclaim the gospel. Because that is curious living. Why is it that you are so generous? Why is it that you are willing to give and to give and give? Reflects God's character and creates opportunities for us to talk about the generosity and goodness of our Father. There is so much more that I could say about this topic, like we did about justice last week. Um, But this is the purpose of wisdom literature, to get us thinking about this some so that we can walk in step with the Spirit more and become more wise. Um, Next week, we'll talk about temptation. Another fun one. Let's pray. Father, we just rest in your presence right now. You are so generous. You have given us, as your word says, your one and only son because you loved us. And in Christ, we have all that we could ever need, but you don't stop there. You bless us at whatever level um, with material blessings as well. Help us as your people to relate rightly to those to use them for your glory and honor and for the good of our neighbor. Make us wise and help us to reflect you out into the world. We pray um, that you would bring us back to the gospel time and time again because this ultimately is our motivation. When we look into your word, you are always motivating us with the good news of the gospel. So I conclude my prayer by praying that you would deepen our knowledge of the gospel. Because as that happens, we will find ourselves being more generous. We pray in Christ's name, amen.